The reality is is now on Patreon, and here are some of our fabulous supporters. Chastity Davis. Don't be fooled by my name. The only thing I abstain from is your bullshit. Jessica Riley. Where I come from, money can buy you anything, but I'll take the garbage plate. Seiran Hayati. In Sweden, we have ABBA, IKEA, and if you mess with me, some other four-letter words. Kelly Paper. I may be from Down Under, but don't ever underestimate me. Richie D. If you can't be cool, you can't be with Caduce. Megan Shaw. I may be a mom. Model, but I'll never be your model minority. Becca Simon. It gets icy where I'm from, so you know I'll bring the heat. Jill Hirsch. Your petty drama can't take this warrior down. Jamie Allrunner. Where I come from, we're known for our great lakes, but I'm just known for my great ass. Sarah Gibbs. You may not like the cut of my jib, but that's what you get from Sarah Gibbs. Maria M. Where I'm from, they sing God Save the Queen, so I guess you can call me a god. Jill Walsh. I made it up this hill myself, and I'll kick any jack off. Jesse Willis. I may not run in traffic, but I'll give you a run for your money. Eleanor Manning. I run with a fabulous circle of people, and they're not even on my payroll. John Friedman. Diamonds aren't a girl's best friend. John Friedman is. Sarah Watkins Bilstein. Playtime is over. This mama means business. Laura Zielinski. Whether it's breast pumping or fist pumping, this Jersey girl brings the party. Amanda Agosti. Everything is bigger in Texas and my heart is no exception. Tracy Masters. When you're the master of your own destiny, no one can ever take you down. Marl Farsi. Reading is fundamental and in Farsi, the reads are monumental. Tracy Newman. My presence is a gift, so remember the thank you note. Lola Del Rio. Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets and I get it all. Adade Adidoko. It may look like I'm stirring the pot, but I'm actually just smoking. Deepa Kanapoli. Some people say I have secrets, but at least they're not federal indictments. Jada. People are intimidated by my great success and my great ass. Naveen Jonathan. I'll give you the shirt off my back and also my unsolicited opinion. Adil Ibrahim. Some things are too hot to handle, like me and the tea I spill. Trinity Subramaniam. I have four degrees and eight syllables and zero fucks to give. Beth Bayer. The secret to my success is staying out of your BS. Shannon Anthony. There's no fun in moderation, but there's plenty of shame. Rita Ryan. Don't be fooled by my Midwest charm, because I'm nobody's fool. Brianna Tony. Some people strive for perfection, but I'm already there. And lastly, Tanisha. While others are turning tables, I'm dancing on them. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's just me, Noor, by myself today. 
Um, we are talking about everything that happened on Sunday. We're talking about Real Housewives of Atlanta, Candy and the Gang finale, and the newest show, Atlanta Love Match. Or is it Love Match Atlanta? It's Love Match Atlanta. <laughs> um, in full disclosure, it's 1.30 in the morning, and I'm doing this episode the night before uh, an early morning flight because I guess I just want to get into another altercation at Newark Airport. Um, anyway, this week is going to be a little bit different. So today's episode obviously is everything on Sunday, and then I'm going to release a summer house episode on Saturday and then on, or did I say Friday? You know, I'm not sure. And then on Sunday, I will be recapping New Jersey and OC, and hopefully I can get Arthi on that one. Um, so let's start with Candy and the Gang, um, because that's what I wrote down first. Um, it was the finale of the show. If you haven't watched the show, I really, I really cannot stress enough how much I really enjoyed it. Um, it did come to my attention that last week I kept calling Patrick Philip and maybe Phil Patrick. Listen, I love Patrick. I love Candy's nephew cousin, Patrick. I think he's like one of the funniest people on Bravo. But um, I apologize for that. Philip is not my favorite, but Patrick definitely my favorite. Um, this show is just, it's so good because all of it genuinely is just about like just young people using the opportunity they have to just, you know, steal my heart. <laughs> like Candy, Candy can really, really, really see the potential in people. And this show is the proof of that like you know she's doing a million things like later on atlanta we're going to talk about it but she's a partial broadway producer like candy's a big deal but um this particular show i mean i just really really enjoyed it i just i loved it from start to finish i didn't feel like any of it was problematic it was so fun it was so light it was so easy everyone is likable um but on the finale of the show we had a couple of things, right? We knew Shandrika got promoted. We find out that she got the title of head major D, and I don't know what that does, but I just love that Chandrika gets to be a head host in charge. Um, I love that at some point in the episode, Brandon is finally like in the back helping out because they're short-staffed. And the caption under it has his name. His, like, Chiron shows up. And it says, Brandon, in quotations, finally working manager. <laughs> um, the entire episode is primarily Torin setting up for this finale party, which is a thing that he used to do called Friday Night Live. Um, and it was this event that happens at um, outside of the restaurant or outside of a lady gang. And it's kind of amazing that, like, she essentially, Candy, would have talented people from the local community, you know, of Atlanta. But, you know, she's trying to find local talent and she's trying to give them opportunities. I mean, this is massive. There's vendors there. Like, this is such a huge business opportunity for black businesses, black talent in the area. And I just, like, I love that Candy does this. But apparently, they hadn't been doing it in a while. And Torin, uh, this was his opportunity to have a big one because – 
as you might remember from I think the first episode, <laughs> Torin used to work at the old lady gang as the event manager. And then he just decided to not show up one day and say that he had COVID, but it actually wasn't COVID. And then he was on Instagram later that day, just like enjoying an outdoor picnic, no mask with a whole bunch of people. But um, this is Torn's big test to get back to the business um, as the event planner. And he's drowning. <laughs> Brian is going to be hosting the event. So it's an exciting time for Brian to come back into the limelight. There's also Patrick's storyline. Patrick is trying to get engaged. There's a lot of nerves. He tells Torin that he's ready to die with her. Her being Safari. He has a really sweet conversation with his mom. And in the beginning, I was like, is this chick Safari just on for the show? But I actually think that Patrick and Safari might be the real deal. Watch them break up next week. But I really enjoyed it. Like, I really think, like, Patrick is such a goof. Like, he's, like, always smirking and always making jokes. And then when he's talking about Safari or when he's, like, trying to be serious with his mom, you can really tell that he really loves this girl. Um, There's this other thing that happens, which is, like, apparently Richardo is a problem. Like, in the beginning of the show, Shardo was sort of shown as, like, this, like, really well-put-together host from Blaze that was going to come over to OLG to help out. But somehow by the end of the show or the end of the season, we find out that Shardo's just, like, not showing up to work. He's drinking on the job. <laughs> and then he's sneaking tips from people to get moved up on the list of of getting a table. What? That came out of nowhere. And you know that it was real because, you know, Candy gets her shaky voice when she gets serious. Um, I would never want Candy to yell at me, by the way. Um, I do want Candy to cry for me, though. But I don't ever want Candy to yell at me like that. Um, but anyway, back to the show, uh, or rather this Friday night vibe. It goes really well. Brian looks fabulous. Um, Brandon apparently fucks up something because Torin doesn't have food runners and Brandon said that he was going to set it up. And of course he didn't because Brandon is barely ever working. Um, and it's weird because like Torin somehow figures it out, but Don Juan is, you know, he's producing like he escalates a rough situation. They ask Torin if he needs help. And when Torrin's like, yeah, I mean, I, I did need help, but you also told me that I, like, just need to figure out. Don Juan just starts, like, screaming at him. And I'm like, in a moment of crisis when your business is on the line, I don't think it makes any sense for you to start, like, having a shouting match with somebody who, like, genuinely needs help. But I also realized that Don Juan recognizes that this is a television show and he was just trying to uh, make uh, content. Um, but eventually it's fine. They figure it out. Everything goes well. It goes, the drama goes nowhere. But the event happens. It's really fun. Everyone shows up in costume, but Todd is just corny, you guys. Todd is the corniest person on Bravo. Like, Ralph is obviously the cringiest person. He's the scariest person. I'd say Louis really scary. Like, all these other house husbands are really scary. Todd is like... He's like, uh, he's not creepy like like Seth Marks, but he's corny. I don't like corny dudes. It, it's a secondhand embarrassment of corny dudes I can't stand. Um, 
Patrick proposes to Safari, and guess what? I cried. I did. I've learned that anytime there's a proposal on television, I'm going to cry. It's kind of like last week when I was talking about Summer House and like how even though I know Kyle and Amanda are a disaster, there's just so much conditioning in my mind about like romantic gestures that I'm always like, oh God, my body's like, well, it's time to cry, bitch. And I did. Um, They show what everybody's up to six months later and the show's really taken off for them. Torin's doing awesome. Dom and Brandon are still together. Chandrika and her fiance bought a house. They're playing a wedding. Patrick and Safari bought a house. And most importantly, Brian is doing the soul roll, his soul food egg rolls business with Todd and Candy. And again, I just think that there's you know, it's it, it's it's such a difference from Vanderpump Rules, right? Because Vanderpump Rules only worked as long as those kids were down in the dumps and they didn't come up to like Lisa's level. And I'm not saying Candy wants these kids to Actually, I do. I do think Candy wants these kids to be at her level. Like Candy understands the importance of bringing people up. Whereas Lisa brings people up only um to make sure that they're not brought up all the way, right? Like Lisa Vanderpump loves a broken bird. Candy Burris is not here for broken birds. Candy Burris is here to like build you bionic wings so that you never need your wings again. You know what I mean? Um, So that your wings can never be broken again. Like that's what Candy is about. But like LVP, her whole thing with Vanderpump Rules was this show is only good as long as these people are not successful. And I get it. Like she did try and she always says, oh, I just want the best for them. Like, let's be honest. She still loves a broken bird. She loves to rehab people only to make herself feel better. Whereas I feel like Candy does it because she genuinely cares for them. Um, And that's the difference between Candy and the Gang and Vanderpump Rules. Not to mention everybody on Candy and the Gang is genuinely lovable. Let's talk about Atlanta. Um, This week on Atlanta, we opened up on Sonia's house with her mom and her sister. And I just... I love a dramatic immigrant mother. Oh my God, I love her so much. Sonia tells us that she has basically nine humans living in her house. It's her mom, her dad, her husband, obviously her son, and then her sister, her sister's husband, and four kids. Was it four kids or three kids? Or maybe two kids? I don't know. It's a lot of people. I could have just done the math right now, but I'm not good at math. Um, we find out that her mom is her manager and her sister is her hairstylist. And so they're just like getting used to living together. Um, but the most exciting and important part of this is the mother and the Jamaican beef patties. Um, (laughs) this turns into what her mom calls patty problems. Uh, apparently when somebody goes to Jamaica, they come back with a personalized box of or not personalized box. Everybody gets their individual box of Jamaican beef patties. Everyone has their own box. And Sonia's like, hey, don't eat my patties. Everybody's eating my patties. And the mom's like, I didn't eat your patties. And the sister's like, well, I don't know who's eating my patties. And they're just joking around partially, but the mom gets very, very offended. But my favorite thing is at the end, she just says, fine, I'll just go to Jamaica and not bring anything back, which is like such an immigrant mom move. Like, 
Also, the individual boxes of patties is like when people go to Pakistan and they come back with like uh, smuggled in mangoes. I don't know if you guys know this, but you can't buy Pakistani mangoes or like apparently you can't import Pakistani mangoes into America. I don't know why, but Pakistani or Indian mangoes are the best mangoes in the world and we're not allowed to have them here. So there's this like entire black market of like it goes through Canada, basically (laughs) Canada allows it, so it goes to Canada, and then somebody smuggles it in from Canada into the United States. I think I might be spilling too many secrets. Oh my god. I suddenly am paranoid. Anyway, I've heard, allegedly, that this happens. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, then you get in a WhatsApp group, and you put in your order, and it's very, they have, they call it, they call them alms dealers, and that is a joke that only people who speak um, Urdu or Hindi will understand or any South Asian language, but I'll break it down for you. Am means mango in Urdu or Hindi and arms dealer is a play on arms dealers. Anyway, you order it and then you get your own personal box and everybody gets their own and some households get more, some less, but you have to be careful because you can't order too many boxes because then you run the risk of not eating them fast enough and then spoiling. And by the way, they're very expensive. It's like $36 for a box of five mangoes. It's insane. But this individual box of Jamaican beef patty just reminded me of that. It's like such a specific immigrant thing of like, bringing something from back home that you just know that you could never get so that you're like super territorial about it. Um, But yeah, I just really like her mom. She's just hilariously petty. She (laughs) makes it about herself. Sonia asks her sister, you know, how she's doing with the transition of moving in and her sister starts to speak for herself. (laughs) And her mom's like, well, everyone is suffering. Okay. You're not the only one. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it because the sister's like, uh, yeah, my sister asked me a question and I'm just answering. Ugh, so good. We finally get Chateau Charest, top to bottom, finished, including the basement. Kenya comes over and obviously Charest shows her the basement. I love all these callbacks and like fixes, you know, or not fixes, I guess callbacks and updates. I just really enjoy that. Something about that just, I don't know. It makes me feel like um, when you really, you know what it makes me feel like? It makes me feel like a reunion, but not like a housewives reunion, more like a, you watch a show or you watch a movie and you get really obsessed with, oh, you know, it's like a reboot, like a Downton Abbey. That's what it reminds me of when this stuff happens. Am I making any sense? I don't know. But anyway, Chateau Chere is gorgeous, but I still would love to know who and how is this paid for? Like, did Bravo pay Sheree that much money that she was able to build this house? Or is Sheree drowning in debt? Like, or maybe are her kids help? I don't know. Or maybe she's got enough swipe ups on Instagram that this is how she pays for it. Who knows? But the house is stunning. Um, when Kenya comes over, they talk about the gala and Sheree does her bone collection, but she also calls her new coworker at the bone collection agency, Sonia. And they trade notes about what Marlo said about Kenya and what Kenya said about Marlo. And then what Marlo said about Drew. And then they start dragging hair transplants. I have very thin hair and I'm always like looking up whether or not I can get a hair transplant because 
uh, I've been struggling with hair loss since I was like 14. And um, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit offended, but it's not a lie that it does look like she had pet surgery. I have one of those. I think there's like a term for it. It's where you can't like look at dots. It's like a fear of like dots or empty holes. Whenever I've seen people's post-op pictures of their hair transplants, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I can't handle it. And it does look like she had pet surgery to get your edges back. Anyway, we learned that Drew left her phone in Sheree's bag and then had to come and get her things from the house, from Sheree's house, but she sent her assistant. And this gets into this new assistant situation with Drew. Kenya tells Sheree that Candy called Kenya to tell her that Drew called Candy to tell her that Anthony, the -the over-the-top assistant from last week, used to be Sheree's assistant and that he was oversharing things to Drew that he that she didn't want to know. And some of those things were like the fact that Sheree owed the assistant money. <sighs> dun, dun, dun. Let's just take a pause. I love a game of telephone. I love it so much. It is a chef's kiss of what makes interpersonal relationships so funny. And I love that. This is what this fight is about. But anyway, Sheree says she hardly uses him. And while they're going in about it, about this, uh, Kenya uses the momentum to talk shit about this massaging situation with the other assistant. Why does Drew have this many assistants? Are they assistants or are they interns? Do these people get paid? Is this like a Sonia Morgan situation? Does she have a pickles in her basement? Anyway, Sheree says to uh kenya after hearing about the massage situation maybe worry about that instead of worrying about me i agree drew has a lot to worry about guys we go to drew's house and she has a personal chef they're having dinner why does drew have a personal chef is the personal chef is the same person who was making the meal kits for her last week i don't know i don't I don't believe anything that is happening in the Sedora Pittman house. I don't believe it. I don't. Ugh, something about it is all so phony. I did think it was alarming. Something happened and JoJo said, her son said something like, it's not lying if you just don't tell them. And I was like, ooh, I don't know about that. It was a weird moment. Anyway, Drew and Ralph are talking about the archive event and how Candy brought up the fact that the assistant was on Instagram and it seems like the assistant knows the conversation that Drew has been having with the other women. And Ralph says, well, I fired her. And Drew asks, well, does that mean you don't talk to her anymore? And Ralph says, I said I don't work with her, not that we don't talk anymore. (sighs) Oh, God. Like I said, I don't I don't know what to make of this Drew situation. I really don't. So much of of her reads like thirsty to me that I think that she would drop low enough to make up the storyline. But I also know that the type of man Ralph is exists all the time, all around us. And so <sighs> I'm wondering how much of this is true, but I'm also so angry. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, if this is fake, then fuck Drew and I don't feel bad for her. But if it's real, which it very well might be, fuck Ralph, he's awful. But then also Drew, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? Ralph says the assistant is like a 50-year-old woman, so Drew has nothing to worry about, which is like fucking insane. It's like an insane statement. Drew tells us in confessional that people say that Ralph gaslights her, and then she looks up the definition on camera, and then we roll Ralph's greatest hits of gaslighting. If you've been on a show for like for half a season, basically, and editors have that much footage to put together to make an entire little clip about how you're a fucking liar, you're a fucking liar. (sighs) Ralph tells Drew that um, Ralph tells Drew that she should tell him not to talk to her, and then he won't talk to her anymore. And Drew says, "No, I need you to make the choice for yourself because you should be smart enough, otherwise." You'll, you'll resent me. And Ralph says, I resent you for lots of stuff. And I said, boy, oh boy, what a fun relationship that we're watching. Um, Candy is at home. Uh, she tells us that she has a show on Broadway. She's a, I guess she's a producer, a partial producer on, uh, for a show on Broadway, which is amazing. Um, it's called Thoughts of a Colored Man and the reviews are coming in and it's, doing pretty well but the huge deal is that this is the first all black production on broadway and again candy burris really knows how to uplift her community it's unbelievably impressive and as a person who doesn't always find that that's available in my community of south asians i hope that one day there is there are people like that um anyway I guess we're going to get some tension, fake tension between Candy and Todd. I mean, they're working really hard to produce a television show. I mean, it's it's fake. Candy and Todd are having issues because of like she's traveling. There's house projects. What? There's a condo in Jersey? Huh? What? Candy, you don't care about that condo in Jersey. Where's the condo? Like Metuchen? Newark? Jersey City? Like, where is the condo? Why do you care? What is this? Why haven't you checked it? You don't want the condo because that's where he used to be with his ex like 15 years ago. And then you also do want your name on the condo because you should have your name on it. And we also find out that Todd does not have a name on Candy's house, which is wow, 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 wow. But anyway, they're just trying to produce some tension. And I'm just like, stop it, guys stop it suddenly we cut to candy at a halloween photo shoot and i was so confused (laughs) i was like when did this film did it film in the fall i guess why is what halloween did other people come to the photo shoot was there an entire day of filming there i need to understand what was going on anyway marlo comes to visit candy's wearing a wild costume, a wicked witch. What is it? I don't know. Um, but anyway, Marlo comes and sits down with her. They talk about the show, the event, L'Archive, La Apostrophe Archive. Um, and Candy says, we all love the event. We want you to know we all love the event. Okay, I know that you thought that those two bone collectors, they told you that we were talking shit, but we, we just, we loved it. We are proud of you. We just want to know. How do you afford it? And I love Marlo because she was just like, listen, whoever's asking, just tell them. Yeah, I'm a private dancer named Ginger. Okay, and I'm putting in nights. And that's how I get my money. 
And I was laughing. And I was like, but is is that partially true, Marlo? Like, where do you get your money from? Um, Candy gives Marlo some advice about raising her nephews because Marlo's sharing that she is really, really excited to send her nephew Michael to prom or homecoming, but she thinks that she's created monsters because she bought them $1,200 suits. And Candy says something which I just loved. And again, like I know Candy is trying to do this like fake producing thing where she's showing us like tension with Todd, but this is where Candy shines when she shares stuff like this. Candy says, just because you're black doesn't mean you have to struggle. It's okay to set your kids up for success and give them what you didn't have at the same time. You don't have to make your kids struggle just so that they can have, you know, success in their life. And I think that's so interesting because it's something that I for sure have struggled with. Um, You know, my parents grew up very differently, but they both lost their parents very, very young. My dad was, didn't even learn how to read and write until he was 14 years old. Um, So it's astonishing to me that my parents, you know, were even able to come to this country and raise three kids in America. But my dad was somebody who never believed that you needed to struggle. My dad was somebody who always, I should stop saying was, my dad is, my dad is somebody who um, gave us everything. I mean, before we could even ask for it, my dad gave us everything, which was really sweet. It didn't necessarily spoil us, but it did (laughs) screw things up for my parents because my dad was also a spender. So my dad gave us everything, everything material that we could ever imagine. Um, but I don't necessarily think that my dad set us up for success in some ways, like emotionally or whatever, but that's a day, that's a conversation for a different day. But My husband was raised the opposite where his parents did struggle. His parents still also set them up for success, but his parents did struggle a lot more than my parents. My husband did grow up not always getting, you know, told yes to everything. And so interesting because now as we raise our children, I'm the opposite where I'm like, we don't have to say, we don't have to buy them everything. We don't, we don't have to buy our kids everything. We're making spoiled little brats. As somebody who got everything in life, like uh, material-wise, I don't think of that's the important stuff. My husband, on the other hand, is like, I didn't get anything growing up. I'm going to give them all the things. And it's funny because a lot of that is obviously us just overcompensating for our childhood and overcorrecting or whatever. But we have very different ideas of what sets them up for success, right? I have a, a thought that I don't want to make my kids feel like everything – can just be handed to them. They have to work hard for it. And my husband, on the other hand, is of the thought that I want my kids to know that your parents, you can always fall back on your parents. And I think the important thing is like finding a balance between that. But so much of our thinking is based on how we were raised. But it's almost like the opposite of how we were raised. I don't know. But my point is that Candy bringing this up about you don't have to struggle just to be like a good person. There's something to say about the fact that like she says this and if we look at Candy and the gang, she's not asking her, co- her the, the OLG kids to struggle. You know, even when Philip comes in and he's trying to like get hard on, be hard on them because he thinks that they're not working hard enough. She's like, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be mean to them just because you think that that's how they're going to learn their lesson. Like I just, I don't know, this, this thought process took a couple of different turns, but 
I just find stuff like that about Candy more interesting than her getting mad that Todd has a condo in Jersey and he didn't finish the pool house, you know? Um, Marlo tells Candy that she wishes that Candy would invite her and her kids over uh, or the nephews over to spend some time with her family. And Candy tells us, well, Marlo used to date her godbrother. And then when she started coming on the show, she started acting brand new and bitchy. And so now they're kind of trying to rebuild their relationship. But anyway, Candy says, well, you never invite me over. And then Marlo says, why don't you come over? And Candy's like, ooh, I'm busy. I'm, I have full body green makeup. Green makeup. And we never find out why she has green makeup. But anyway, um, the husbands meet up. We're getting back to basics at Atlanta, I guess. We're doing more husband meetups. Um, Todd meets up with Ralph and Ross at Blaze. And they ask Ralph about this assistant business. And Ralph's explanation doesn't make any sense. But it lands on he believes that his wife shouldn't be going through her cell phone. It's weird because... They all know that Ralph is full of shit, but nobody really calls him out on it. Like, they all laugh about, oh, my old lady is acting so crazy. And I'm like, don't try to do this, like, Jersey misogyny, please. Please don't. Um, Marlo sends her nephew uh, off to homecoming. We meet Ty and Justin, who are friends of hers. They've been huge help up, huge help uh, with her, for her, for helping. What words am I saying? They've been a huge help. For Marlo as she has raised the nephews. Um, Marlo teaches her nephew how to dance. But Marlo also tells us about her childhood. And how she had a drug addict mom in the projects. And how she actually considered foster care as a safe haven. Good lord. We all know the state of foster care in this country. And the fact that her situation was so bad that Marlo actually found foster care to be her safe haven is quite telling but I want to know more about this stuff I think it's really interesting to know that that's how she grew up and instead she's giving the world to her nephews you know kind of like this conversation that she had with Candy um but it was sweet it was nice and simple and sweet we still don't know where Marlo gets her money but it was still sweet then we get to the wildest part of this episode which is where Ralph love bombs Drew we also learned that she has a ton of assistants. So Ralph is pulling a classic Louie. He is uh, getting her glam, flowers, red carpet, a fairy tale. Then they go to Ralph's Taylor's showroom, which is strange. There's like a rooftop with flowers. I don't know. You know how I said proposals make me emotional and weddings make me emotional? It's safe to say love bombing does not ever make me emotional. This shit freaks me out really bad. It, it sends a tingle down my spine in a really bad way. Anyway, they get to dinner. Drew's asking where all this is coming from. And Ralph's like, I just want to be the best husband. And Drew's like, this is this, this is what I love. You know, when uh, – and Drew said – and Ralph says something like, you know, when I proposed to her and I made her feel good, like – I know that that's what she wants and she just wants to be uh, me to feel like I, you know, she's a priority or maybe Drew says she wants to be prioritized and this is their way of prioritizing, which is like so unrealistic and bizarre. Ugh. But Drew says, look, 
I don't want low lows just so that we can get to these high highs. And Ralph tells her that he has been prioritizing himself because previously he was a people pleaser. Um, when were you a people pleaser? When you were running off to Tampa and not telling your wife and kids where you went off to or planting cameras all over your house and spying on your family? What part of that is people pleasing? But anyway, that rubs Drew the wrong way. And then instead, Ralph suggests, let's just leave these topics to therapy and focus on the good stuff right now. And Drew's like, okay, so we can't talk about what's going on, which is like, she really tries, right? She's like, let me hold your hand while we're talking so that it helps, which is like, you know that she's been going to therapy because I learned that in therapy too. And instead of it being taken in any positive way, Ralph tells her, maybe I'll set up a session with my therapist so you can learn how to speak to men appropriately. Ugh. And Drew tells him, maybe you should talk to learn. You should learn to talk to women. And uh, something happens about this Dr. Ken guy who I guess is their therapist and says, well, Dr. Ken said you like to do zingers. To which Drew says, well, Dr. Ken said you were a maniac. And then they get into the definition of what is a maniac. Oh my God. Ralph's defense of Drew looking up the definition of a maniac is nobody as successful as me with this many degrees could ever be a maniac. And then when Ralph looks up the, sorry, yeah. So Ralph looks up, Ralph tells her to look up the definition and he says, nobody as, as successful as me could ever have this many degrees and be called a maniac. Look up the definition. So Drew looks it up, reads it to him, and Ralph says, well, you know, a maniac is just something people on the East Coast, Coast say. It's just something that we do. What? What? And then he continues by saying, you don't even understand what maniac means. And then, like, it just, it gets worse and worse because Drew just shuts down. She starts to cry because Ralph, Ralph would, Rather than talking about their marriage, Ralph would much rather berate his wife, make her feel stupid, tell her that he she doesn't understand words, gaslight her, than talk about her being like, hey, like, let's work on our marriage. I really appreciate this. Let's talk kindly to each other. Let's talk about what's been going on. Rather than dealing with anything real, he would rather shut down and make his wife cry because he's a fucking maniac at the end he ultimately lands on uh doing stuff for you is not the move i regret doing all of this ralph is a classic misogynist ralph wants like a 1930s life he wants to wine and dine his pretty little wife and he wants her to worship the ground he walks on and he wants her to never, ever question any of it. And if if something is wrong or if he does something wrong, she just is supposed to say, oh, well, you do so much for us. It's fine. Ralph was expecting to, like, I don't know, get a blowjob under the table at that dinner. Like, he was expecting Drew to be like, oh, my goodness, how could I ever question your loyalty to me, even though you're sending inappropriate text messages and talking to an assistant who I told you I don't like? what? Like, I, I don't understand any of it. 
I don't understand any of it. And I still cannot tell if this is totally real or totally fake. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but this better end in a divorce or I will, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything about it. What am I going to do? Stop watching the show? Of course not. Anyway, this is a disaster. And uh, sometimes I enjoy watching people's marriages fall apart and other times it makes me scared. And what's the scariest part of Ralph is if he's doing this shit on camera, what is he saying to her off camera? What? Ugh. Um, Let's move on to this new show called Love Match Atlanta. It is about matchmakers. It is, it's very good so far. There's only one episode. We meet three different, sorry, four different matchmaking companies in Atlanta. There is Kelly and Tana, and they are the matchmaking duo. They are apparently the biggest name in the black uh, matchmaking world. Um... Then there's Shay. She has a middle-class matchmaker. She's like a small up-and-comer. She focuses on people with smaller budgets. By the way, matchmaking duos fees start at $25,000. Now, I didn't have to work very hard to uh, find my husband, but in no way, at no point in my life, would I be so desperate for a relationship that I would spend $25,000 for it. I don't understand that. I don't understand. Uh, there's Ming, which is called Colorblind International, a choice name. Makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, people think that she is an escort service, but she maintains that she is not. I'd say Ming uh, ha- is giving me the closest to a uh, millionaire matchmaker energy um, because the guys that she has in her service are straight douche canoes. Um, then there's Joseph, who is quite a character he made an app called real black love and it was uh for an exclusively a dating app for black people uh on this app he met his current girlfriend who is also his current current business partner named paris joseph has rubbed everyone the wrong way joseph and shay were friends he told everybody that shay and her longtime partner broke up and Shay has said, like, that that's not really information I want out there because I'm a matchmaker. I can't have my personal relationship being out there. And Joseph did that particularly to make Shay look bad. Joseph has also previously tried to work with Kelly and Tana, and he has ghosted them and stolen their ideas. And now all of um, basically the matchmaking community has kind of pushed Joseph away One, because he's not certified. I want to know what it takes to be a certified matchmaker. I don't know if I ever would want to be because I feel like my entire shtick would be like, guys, marriage is actually not that important, which I, as somebody almost married for 11 years, still maintain that that is very true. I don't think marriage is the most important thing in the world, but um, that would be my line of advice. I'd be like, you know what? I feel like you're just happy by yourself. Like, don't worry about it. I'll give you a refund. It's fine. I would want to do a matchmaking service where like I could match you to another person or I could help you decide that maybe being single is best for you. <laughs> like that's that's the kind of service I want to create where it's like I'm getting matched with myself, you know? Anyway, a lot of people don't like Joseph. He's not certified. He's kind of a schmoozy guy. He's a character. He's comes on camera with a beat face 
he is he is ready to be a star on Bravo, okay? Um, but nobody wants to fuck with him because he's not nice. Um, the matchmaking duo are, because they are the biggest organization, the most important thing to know about them is that they are creating uh, a Love Pro University, which creates certified coaches. Some of this screamed like MLM to me a little bit, right? Like, because essentially, I guess what they're trying to do is create an, uh, a university that allows other people to become matchmakers. And then when those matchmakers become uh, people who can make money matchmaking other people, I would think that Kelly and Tana would get a cut from that, right? So I guess it's kind of what recruiters do, which is what they call some of these people. But essentially, it's that kind of sales. It's something about it screamed MLM to me, and I'm not sure what. But it all gets to a head because Joseph throws a mixer. He invites all these uh, other businesses to the mixer, and nobody brings their singles because a mixer was meant to be where you come and you trade your singles with my singles, and we all make money. It's kind of like real estate, I guess, but except it's human beings and long-term relationships. I don't know. Um, and nobody brings their singles. Okay. Um, Joseph has like a really sad little group of people and he makes an announcement that he also is making his own academy. The episode ends with the matchmaking duo getting mad because that was their idea. They're getting on the mic and they're about to say something. And it's like, dun, 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 what's going to happen? Now the previews of the rest of the show looks very good, but what I really enjoyed from start to finish was that everyone is willing to talk shit in confessionals. I really love that. I love a show where nobody's afraid to talk shit. It was giving me like married to medicine feelings. It was just a lot of that. Like you know that these people have long-standing relationships with each other. They have, uh, you know, I guess a history. And so they have plenty of shit to talk about. And I just, I really enjoy that. I love when people can come together to talk shit actually come together to play nice and then go apart to talk shit. That's, I mean, again, interpersonal relationships 101. Um, anyway, so I enjoyed that show. I can't wait to watch it next week. I I have good feelings about it. Um, like I said, next episode is going to be Summer House, uh, which will drop later on this week. And then I will share uh, OC and New Jersey with you guys on Sunday. Um and yeah, I I hope that everybody – oh, thank you to everybody who donated on our Instagram fundraiser because we went over our little fundraising goal. So thank you guys. And uh, so anyway, I will talk to you guys next time.